Um, cool. Are you guys ready to get buck wild? Yes. <sighs> All right. <clears throat> And the bass is the treble. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young, and I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, Mr. Nathan Harrison. Hello, hello. Mr. Adam Buncher. I'm all about that bass, no treble. That's what's up. And Mr. Andrew McDonald. Good evening. We are back once again, all up in your system. The system being 1994. I'm pumped. I'm surrounded by dudes that are very clearly pumped. <laughs> I'm vibrating. Yeah, God. <laughs> Shimmering. There positively yeah. positively like glowing. Qu- quantum people. atom. You're yeah. just not like quite there. I yeah. need a doctor. Yeah. There's something terribly wrong. <laughs> So, what better way to kick us off than with a jam and rock and roll anthem? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> at number 90, this is The Smashing Pumpkins with Jassam. Pumpkins at number 90 in the 1994 Hottest 100 with Disarm. We've gone on at length about how much of a fuck brain Billy Corgan is. <laughs> like a Stand monumental, absolute fuck brain. Along with Fiona Horne and Jeff Martin. I'm just pissing off all of these people and I do not give a fuck. There is a list. <laughs> Billy Corgan probably is the one, ironically, most likely to go out of his way to come and call you on that though. Because some of the other two are like Australian residents. It's, it's going to be Billy if it's going to be anyone. Yeah, yeah. He, he Billy like, probably Googles himself. He's just like, oh, they're talking yeah, about, they're talking about, talking about our song. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I can't believe they said something so awful about me. Yeah. <laughs> then he transforms into a fucking lizard. And <laughs> oh, shit. Actually, Man. he's going to be here in a couple of weeks. Or maybe he's here right now when you're listening to this. We should get him this. on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. Yeah. Almost as much as us. Uh. 
Now, I'll, I'll be the first to say that if you're going to listen to a Smashing Pumpkins song, it shouldn't be a ballad. A lot of their ballads are a bit... Wow. But this is actually... I actually really like this particular song. I like the use of the bells and the strings and the like dramatic mm. flair. I always come back to this one in particular. Like It's one of those rare quiet moments in the Smashing Pumpkins discography that I quite like. All of the early stuff, like the quote-unquote classic lineup, I'm, I'm all about... And uh, this one is stuck around for me big time. Like, uh, there's just something about this song that would just hit. He always hit a raw nerve with me growing up. And yeah, it's kind of stuck with me. We're kind of towards the beginning of the end for the Special Pumpkins, though, because Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is just around the corner. Wow. <laughs> I think you, I think and as you the Kamala teaches us, Billy Corgan hasn't written a good song since Siamese Dream. Hang on so. a minute. I think no you're, too, you're far too critical of Melancholy. Yeah, that's, in, that's an insane is, opinion. Like every double album, it is too long. It is. Yeah. Way it too is long. Still, there but are look still at some the absolute tunes on there. Zero, um, XYU, like, that's some of their choices. Cuts. Dave. Mm. <laughs> Zero, Pat. <laughs> take offense, sir. <laughs> so unconvinced. <laughs> Man. Herb, I think this is a very good song. I'm with you. I um, love the production work. I think it's mm. the, the, the lush balladry. Like, the, the lyrics are kind of cliche, but oh, that goes, goes with the overproduction. It's, of it, it's I think. sold in that like yeah, conviction. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think like the earnestness of it all, like I don't mind the cliche and the overproduction because of that. I, I think it could be longer if it was like maybe five minutes something like that and the mm. orchestration kind of built a bit more yeah, rather than thought. just appeared. Um, yeah. I think it'd be better, but the bells and the, the strings all really work. It kind but of seems sudden. More, yeah, exactly. I think the bells are so great. Up, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't love the bells. Really? I like. I I think it's a bit overproduced, and or I would it like them to is. dial it back a couple of notches, just because like it. I find it too hard to get into the song, and like after a few listens, I can sort of get there. But I don't know. It's like there's just a wall of all that stuff. And if it was longer, I think it wouldn't be a problem. I think you're right. Yeah, the build would be more like. I think it could be yeah. you know like a big eight minute song yeah, or something, exactly. and it's that would fit really well. But for a three minute song or whatever it is, it's just a bit too much yeah. for me. I think in terms of production, not in terms of quality or undying love from me. Um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, The Cure's Pictures of You how the, mm. the, the album version is like a seven and a half minute piece of perf- perfection and the single cut only goes for about five minutes or even less than that only yeah um, <laughs> and, that, and it really suffers because it doesn't have the orchestration build up yeah it absolutely it. It I, I think this is this. a this yeah. is a longer song than how it turned out yeah I think it should have been at least I don't know if, if maybe live it is I he wouldn't go back into the back catalogue for the... Ah, uh, sure. The, the, yeah, the, well, that's true. The real fans are dying to hear Zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. You know what's interesting about this being performed live? A couple of years ago, the entire band would leave the stage and Billy Corgan <laughs> would be Billy. there. Just because they were sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, fuck this. They all quit at the same time. No, like, for the encore, Billy would just walk on stage by himself without a guitar, play the backing track and just sing it like a karaoke song. That's beautiful. That's not it's, a great choice. No, it's that's not, a, that, is it? That's about the Corganist thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? I reckon if it was up to him, that's all he would be doing. Peak yeah. Korg. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Buncher, you outed yourself as a big, big fan of the like early pumpkins uh, when we talked about Cherub Rock. And specifically Siamese Dream, even though I think you do possess a madman's opinion in not liking Melancholy. Fuck to Melancholy. Me, <laughs> to me, <laughs> both of those albums are the core pumpkins. They're the core of the pumpkin. The no, dude, Gish and, Siamese, Gish and Siamese Dream. Not, not, not fucking Melancholy and uh, Siamese. Granted, Siamese, I mean, yeah. There, there are some other stuff, but I think in terms of the albums that 
I like the most. It's it's looking at Siamese and melancholy. Actually, it's I'm good not, tracks. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not surprised at that. I think because melancholy, like like it is sad and it, yeah. it's so earnest. And I know that you're buy into that kind of <laughs> genuine kind of appreciation of the melancholy. He's calling you a sad bastard, essentially. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying you appreciate a good sad song <laughs> if the sad shoe fits. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what's you a sad must shoe? Quit. How do you think of this song? I love this song. I actually, I remember this is one of the first uh, pumpkin songs that I actually ever heard at the perfect age when I was a teenager and of it hit me just right. It's perfect. I'm going to make the killer in me is the killer in you, my MSN name, while I sit here and oh, wear yes. my band shirt. Yeah, bracket eight, bracket. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, it's perfect for that. But I think beyond that as well, I'm actually going to say that lyrically, I think it's pretty good as well. Um, looking at the meaning of the song, Corgan wrote it kind of as a cathartic thing about the abuse he suffered as from his parents airing it in this song and ultimately conveying a message that he's letting that go and stopping a kind of uh, a cyclical abuse like the killer in me is the killer in you apart from being an incredibly hooky lyric i think sums up what the song is about you know like i'm i'm gonna stop myself from realizing what my parents were for me uh, to another generation I'm, I'm stopping that you know like uh, I disarm you with a smile I'm choosing to be happy I'm choosing to let this stuff go I think that's a really cool message and I actually think it's really well realised in the song I think you get pain but you also get the release of pain and it's brought across most magnificently through the star of it which is you know that orchestration the bells and killer strings huh? I think it's a very well put together song and you know regardless of whether or not it's you know it stands up to the pumpkins more rocky stuff I think as a song itself great for the team Great for me. Thumbs up. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, in conclusion, the Smashing Pumpkins are for the children. <laughs> At number 89, this is Warren G featuring Nate Dogg. This is Regulate. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Got to be handy with the steal, if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulate it was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warmer G was on the streets, trying to consume some skirts for the E, so I could get some phones. Rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you skirts know what's up with 213. So I hooked a left on 21 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. I jumped out the rock and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some gas, so I said, I'm stuck. These girls peeping me, I'm gonna glide and swerve. These hookers looking so hard, they straight hit the curve. Want to bigger, better things than some horny tricks. I see my homie and some suckers all in it. At number 89, that was Warren G and Nate Dog. You can't say his name any other way. Uh, that was Regulate, and we are going mm. to throw it over to our resident regulator, Mr. Adam Buncher. I'm glad you recognized that I regulate. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. kick that shit. Tell us a story. Uh- <laughs> Isn't the storytelling just mint? Like, oh, it's the best. It's the absolute best. And I love the fact that the two main members of the song are basically like telling a story about themselves. Like, and it is kind of like going back and forth, being like, yeah, yeah like, man. Let and me then Nate Dog hit it up. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, let me think back to Warren. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did this. That was sick when he did that. But then I did this, and it was awesome. It's just two guys in a bar trying to tell you the best story that they can, and they just keep jumping in over the top yeah. of each other. I swear to God, I swear to God, this happened. And, and one guy's deciding to sing it. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to just speaking. Okay, so it's attempting to be the definition of G-Funk. 
quick crash course, G-Funk. It was a period in the early 90s in West Coast hip-hop. Most notably brought across in albums such as The Chronic by Dr. Dre and then uh, Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog. That's what's up. It's so West. It's way West. <laughs> and I love it. I, I think it's, I, it's just such an iconic early 90s hip-hop sound. I don't think this stands as a premier example of it, despite Boo. what Warren G would let Boo. you have. It's just like... Boo, Adam Puncher. Boo. It, it just lacks venom. Like, it just lacks the kind of edge and, and being, like, genuine gangster. It's it's dressed up in gangster clothes. Yeah. But that's, they, that's they're West Coast, though. West Coast is so chill. I think West Coast has aged way worse than East Coast. That's I, a valid I point. I don't know. I think it's it's a case of, like, what we were talking about with... um I forget what it was a couple of episodes ago. You're talking about something... Uh, it was Pet Shop Boys. You said it's it's aged more, but that means it's actually become more, more valuable. More, yeah, right. I reckon that's what West Coast G-Funk is all about. Like, it stands in that point in time, and when you listen to it, it's time capsule shit. It is time capsule, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you go back to it. It's just something about this comes across as just really dorky, and I think <laughs> Warren G's not the greatest rapper. He's really, It's like he, he researched what the, like, the bare minimum <laughs> level of rap would have to be in a song like this. He's like, oh, I can reach that. Just. Like, it's gonna, I'm going to be pushing, but I'll get there just. I think Nate's okay, though. Yeah, no, Nate's I, amazing. Like, great. I like Nate, like, because Nate is on a track on the chronic oh yeah yeah and he's good i, I quite like how he flows well, and the music is great like yeah. the synth the bass are all yeah. which amazing. is which is what it's all about yeah. i mean that's that's what brings it across is the g-funk song or whatever they should have definitely cut the last verse it's just <laughs> yeah. nonsense yeah but apart from that it's good fun like yeah. it's i think You're it's right certainly, that it has no bite it's got no mm. bite but mm. it but it's a little bit more of a jam because it's a little bit toothless if you know what i mean yeah. like you can kind of take Dr. Dre too seriously. Of course. But you can you can actually engage this song with a little bit of irony, which I think makes it maybe nowadays a little bit more valuable. I have heaps of fun whenever it's on. So. Mm, for yeah. sure. If it was 994 and this was on and you were like outside somewhere, presumably at a beach and it's obviously 420 and you're blazing and this comes on that'd be fucking sick it'd be, G- it'd be Jam yeah. City yeah, like, you, you would be do- right in Jam it City it would take you right there take you sure. yeah, despite the fact that it has no aggression whatsoever and it's yeah. too, too that's what you want though it's like a crazy jam yeah even though it's about like murder and everything like, it's just like I think it's quite seductive in that way that, yeah. like the story is has a lot more bite that's to it than the delivery that's how they get you yeah. 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 it's PG-13 it really is yeah. it's like gangster rap for like white kids yeah that like well, don't we'll be able to listen to it and their parents like going to overhear anything and be like what is this yeah. it's yeah, like yeah. Oh, that's some nice like 70s groove <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> there is a terminology uh, that I've picked up from years of watching pro wrestling and that is genetted Marty Jannetty was the tag team partner of a guy called Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels went on to be one of the biggest stars in the history of professional wrestling. And he is the king. Yeah. He is definitely the king. Uh, and Marty Jannetty uh, was kind of put to the wayside, ultimately ignored. See also uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey, etc., etc. There's always one that goes on to be the megastar and one that kind of goes by the wayside. Nate Dogg went on to be one of the go-to hookmen in hip-hop for the next mm. 20 years, up to and including his death. And who the fuck has heard from Warren G since? Mm. There no, will never be true. another Nate Dogg. The second you hear his voice on Hook, you're just like, they've sealed the deal. It's Nate. Yeah. 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 
he has such a definitive style and I love that and it starts with Regulate people will always yeah. remember that shit I love his use of contrast here you know the bit of the story and then his bit of the story like I like that contrast I think it works really well you've said it, it is a bit fluffy and a bit light in terms of its approach and it's not like fuck the police or anything like that no, but no. You do, like it doesn't always have to be fuck the police sometimes you just want a crazy jam like sometimes I said you, sometimes you never were incompetent so you can't go yeah, right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. and there is a very strong case that is put across for Warren G being one of the originators for uh, the G-Funk sound um, as well as the regulator of it. So <laughs> he, he regulated it, kept it all in line. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. regulate the yeah. sound. He, he ran the competition, he had the tables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was that wanker in the office that was stressing everybody to have a fantasy football league. Yeah. <laughs> just running, running spreadsheets or whatever. Exactly, just did yeah. it all on Excel. Yeah. Hip hop Excel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Double Excel. I, I think maybe we are overselling somewhat the idea that this isn't as hardcore or gangster as some of the other perpetrators and regulators of the early 90s in, in the G-Funk sound. Like, maybe arguably of the time it was it was just as just as biting or whatever. Yeah, I maybe. Just, uh, for maybe example. It's, maybe it's just about, like, having this story where all this stuff happens, but the fact that you can be so blasé about it is doing kind of the same thing as being really aggressive about it, just getting there in a different way. Sort of, you know, saying you're above it, like, this is no big deal. Yeah, I could pay you that know, opinion. We yeah. just made some bodies go cold. So there's a there's a I guess a mixed level of love in the room, but there there is a bit of love in the uh, room. So oh, love there's decent love. love. Yeah. <laughs> before we go, before we move on to the next song, are you guys familiar with the very infamous Wikipedia synopsis? Yes. Yes. No, so no, wonderful. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll I'll just I've got it here. I'll, so I'll just read a little bit of it. No, please um, do. Yeah. <clears throat> On a cool, clear night, typical to Southern California, Warren G travels through his neighborhood, searching for women with whom he might initiate sexual intercourse. He's chosen to engage in this pursuit alone. Nate Dog, having just arrived in Long Beach, seeks Warren. Ironically, Nate passes a car full of women who are excited to see him. He insists to the women that there is no cause for excitement. Warren makes a left at 21st and Lewis Avenue, where he sees a group of young men enjoying a game of dice together. He parks his car and greets them. He's excited to find people to play with, but to his chagrin, he discovers they intend to relieve him of his material possessions. Once the hopeful thieves reveal their firearms, Warren realises he is in a considerable predicament. Meanwhile, Nate passes the women as they are low on his list of priorities. His primary concern is locating Warren. After curtly casting away the strumpets, whose interest in Nate was such that they crashed their automobile, he serendipitously stumbles upon his friend Warren G being held up by the young miscreants. Warren, unaware that Nate is surreptitiously observing the scene unfold, is in disbelief that he's being robbed. The perpetrators have taken jewellery and a name brand designer watch from Warren. Observing these unfortunate proceedings, Nate realises that he may have to use his firearm to deliver his friend from harm. The tension crescendos as the robbers point their guns to Warren's head. Warren senses the gravity of the situation. As he imagines himself escaping in a surreal fashion, he catches a glimpse of his friend Nate. That's that amazing. is the second best novelization of a song I have ever heard. <laughs> outside of the uh, when someone decided to write oh, Toto's, yeah. uh, Toto's Africa uh, in the style of Ernest, Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway which is oh, that's fucking we, incredible. Uh, that's, which is I'll amazing. have to check that out. But that is terrific, though. That's, that's <laughs> yes. wild. R.I.P. Nate Dog. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. At number 88, this is The Cure with Purple Haze. The Cure? Purple Haze? Uh, what's going on? Thank you. 
Power at number 88 in the 1994 Hottest 100 with their cover of Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze. And in order to explain what the fuck is going on here, <laughs> we're going to throw to our resident cure expert, Mr. Andrew McDonald. Yeah, this um, it was recorded for a 993 um, Hendrix tribute record. Uh-huh. And it exemplifies a number of things that I like about the cure and that I like about covers, but... We'll hold on. Um, <laughs> like, it comes just after, I guess, their commercial high point with Friday I'm in Love oh, and, course, and yeah. Wish, their record that's from, and a few years after their like artistic high point, Disintegration. So like, they're, they're at a point where they can kind of do whatever they want. It's like when artists reach that point, like, the record company will just say, yeah, sure, whatever. You obviously know what you're doing. So, And I think that they exploited that with this song um, and leads to... like. A relatively abstract cover uh, also represents what I generally look for in a cover. It um, channels specific ideas to the original song, but without just like aping the sonics. But having said that, the song itself is a bit of a miss. Robert's voice is all over the place. Yeah, the, the beat is too weird for. The beat a, is terrible. Yeah, the, oh, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's like it's a so dated. Yeah, like, song. like they have a drummer, but like the song is a mess. Should use yeah. him. Like, <laughs> he's standing in the background, going like, "Guys, hi." This is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? I'm here. The, I think the guitar. Well, he's probably effects, not in the band anymore. <laughs> no, the, the guitar effects I think work. I like Robert's guitar work here, and uh, I think Perry Barmont was the other guitarist. The, like the guitar works, but the whole song, yeah, it's a mess. Uh, it's worth mentioning this isn't their first Jimi Hendrix cover. No, of uh, course. Oh, way really? back in the day, they did a really shitty, trashy punk version of Foxy Lady. Yeah, from their um, very first record. Yes, that's yeah. right. On paper, I could see that working. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler that's alert. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of things about that record, it's better in concept than execution. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that, Andrew, whether yeah. you're going to end up liking the song or not. But I think maybe we're at a similar point because I think this is a bad song but a good cover and whoa the, yeah you did not say that about Purple Haze I did I did because you look at what like the original this version is a bad song you mean not Purple Haze is a bad song oh no the Purple Haze is an amazing song okay. the Hendrix Purple Thank Haze fuck I was gonna <laughs> fucking yeah. say I, how could you even think that <laughs> I said that the original Purple Haze by Hendrix is of course untouchable and amazing but that's what's up I, it's I getting think, pretty touched here yeah. <laughs> but, but I draw a distinction between what this song is achieving as a song to listen to and as a cover as a statement yeah because I think the original Purple Haze in the 60s despite the fact that Jimi Hendrix says it was about a dream he had it's pretty clearly about drugs wait what <laughs> slow down Adam spoil <laughs> <laughs> and being in the 60s, it's bright, colourful and kind of celebratory because of that. And what I think The Cure have done really well with this cover is they've kind of delivered on the false promise that the original Purple Haze in the 60s set up. We're in the 90s now. And they've kind of brought across a disillusionment and a chaos and... A, I guess a 90s drug sound as well. Exactly. A 90s drug sound that's just completely miserable. It almost makes more sense artistically that this is a bad song that isn't fun and isn't nice to listen huh. to because drugs aren't fun and they're not good. To and listen to. They're not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you, if they put Sorry, you in is a this terrible... a podcast or a PSA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I think like it's... I'm probably the quickest to heap praise upon the cure conceptually, but I don't think that was their intention here. Obviously. Oh, no. I'm, yeah. going, I'm going all Homer's in a coma fan theory on this. Like, I'm... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm making I'm making this fit. No, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a that's a reading. Author. Yeah, it's exactly. It's in the text. I think that's a really good reading, though. I think yeah, that makes well, a lot of sense. Yeah, that's I, what I got. I think this song's placement in this countdown is kind of a vote for the band and not yep, the song thing. Yeah. And it's kind of double vote for the band because you get to vote for Jimi Hendrix as well. You'd be uh, like, oh, there's a Jimi Hendrix song uh, in the countdown. I don't know why you would vote for this song. I think like the guitar is kind of cool. It's a bit too muddy yeah, like, across enough. the whole thing. Yeah. The bass is kind of cool. But and the beat, as we've said, is pretty. Rubbish. It's a mess. It's the just, whole song's a mess. It sounds like it was just a poorly recorded rehearsal jam, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this will do." Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 Robert, it will not do. You know what it reminds me of is that other the Cure um, remix album mixed up, which mm. is equally kind of garbagey. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's pretty rubbish. Oh. Yeah, there's some things that just shouldn't mix. You know, this yeah. was recorded for like a compilation of Jimi Hendrix covers that a bunch of other bands did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Well, I, that's I think, the thing. A tribute record is that, it's, that, it's such that, a always hit and miss jerk. at best even yeah. the best ones yeah we talked about the um the Finn Brothers one yeah uh, last uh, she season. will have her way yeah yeah it's the same deal you kind of get a few cool tracks in there and a lot of stuff that you just what is this no one says oh it's a great tribute record right? no tribute record is always good like no. it's always just for the bands to boost up their own credibility of being like oh look I have a tighter Jimi Hendrix here or like yeah. oh look I have a tighter Finn Brothers or Leonard Cohen or any of the like mm. yeah it's such a patchy thing to be a part of and in turn this song is just patchy as hell yeah <laughs> I don't think even like this is not the last time we get to talk about the cure in this countdown. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, it'll be good to actually talk about a cure song. Yeah, exactly. You know, not a not a cure via Hendrix song. I guess we'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, because like Robert Smith has appeared on the Hot 100 more times than any other artist, if you include those first few when you could vote from any year. Oh, so yeah. this was clearly early nineties. More than listeners. more than old mate Dave Grohl. Yes, your wow. favorite guy, yeah. Andrew. Yeah. The king of rock. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that clearly early 90s Jay listeners were big Cure fans. And this, For that, sure. That's represented mm. by the fact that this track could get on there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's totally a hangover from that. <laughs> that, that makes sense. At number 87, this is Stephen Patrick Morrissey with The More You Ignore Me. Oh, God, I forgot this one was in here. <laughs> the closer I get. I forgot this was here. I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> The more you ignore me, closer I get. You're wasting your time. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. I will be in the bar with my head on the With the, uh, <laughs> that was Morrissey. Guys, it's an alright song. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> alright, can I fucking introduce the goddamn song? Yeah, it's Morrissey. Uh, the song is called The More You Ignore Me, The Closer I Get. He's getting closer every day. Every everyone. goddamn day. This came in at number 87 in the 1994 Triple J Hottest 100. Nathan, do your fucking worst. Oh my god, do you reckon Morrissey is Gamergate? 
I feel like what? he'll probably be Gamergate. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, 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 listening to this, I was like, wow, this is just or, like such an early anthem for fedora-wearing nice guys. Mm. And then it was just a small step to Gamergate <laughs> from that. So this is, oh, this isn't very good. It's about ethics in Morrissey songs. It's, yeah, yeah. It's about ethics in animal cruelty, surely. <laughs> like, I think... <laughs> like a lot of Morrissey stuff, it just misses the spark of the Smiths. Like, yes, the songwriting itself, it feels like kind of a pale imitation of some of some good Smith songs. It reminded me a lot of this Charming Man. Yeah, mm, um, that's a fair call. And like, I, I'm not inherently against Morrissey as a thing, but this song <laughs> just, thing. It just misses. It misses Johnny Marr. It misses like it misses the rest of the Smiths that raise Morrissey up past what he is on his own. That's a fair point. I do like a lot of. Of Morrissey and love a lot of Morrissey songs, but it, the Smiths are one of my favorite bands ever. Yeah, yeah. And me too. so it takes a lot for for me to really get into a Morrissey song the way I get into a Smith song. Because like yeah. Morrissey songwriting is a big part of the Smiths. Yeah, but it's not sure. the only part of the Smiths, and I think yeah, that's really yeah, important. Yeah. And yeah. a but lot I, of Morrissey do, solo stuff is everybody is always so quick to crap on Morrissey's solo career, and I am too. And like this is like from the like one of the the last songs that he wrote from an album that was well received generally. Uh, but I don't think that all of the criticism is entirely warranted like so much of Morrissey's solo career is really quite reminiscent of the Smiths and I think people fetishize the Smiths like the, like Johnny's guitar work in the Smiths to a huge degree like it's not always shimmering gorgeousness a lot of the time it's just like oh yeah it's just a pop song and it's clearly a Morrissey song mm. yeah. and those are some of the songs people love as well and I think this song could easily have fallen somewhere on a Smiths album it could have but it just doesn't have the same textural quality no but I think that if it was on a Smiths album everyone would be like oh yeah it's just a Smiths song not if it sounded like this I don't know if it was I... recorded in the 80s maybe no or I think it I, recorded... I think it sounded exactly like this you reckon yeah because whatever the f- is going on with that guitar it needs to be put down and not like you put a guitar down like you put a dog down <laughs> oh it's it's just oh it's Woof. just it sounds so sick yeah it sounds ill it's just it's, it's all oh, i don't even i can't take over i, <laughs> I just i think Adam's i think there's a good a crisis over here Dude, i just love the queen is dead man that's like one of my favorite <laughs> albums of all time it's a great it always holds the up the smiths like of that era kind of thing like that that was like a decade before this came out yeah this is like it's not then he's not that guy anymore like i never like it's ridiculous it's like listening to a new order song and being like oh yeah but it's no unknown pleasures yeah like, well, look and i and i admit that somewhere in this song is a good song I agree with you, Nathan. The lyrics are a bit. Uh, no. I don't hate it, I but that's, 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 that's Morrissey. That that's that's yeah, yeah, every yeah, true yeah, Morrissey. Yeah, exactly, that's, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, that's, and it's that's fine okay. for that. Yeah. But I just think like the just the, the music itself. Like, yeah, whatever I'm, I'm band he was working with, I don't think they yeah, get it's that. It's piddling. It, but yeah. like, I think the best thing about it is actually the way Morrissey sings it. I think oh, Morrissey's yeah. voice is mm. is a constant pleasure to listen to. He's always the centerpiece. Yeah, the chorus is lovely. It is, and even a few of the little lines are just classic Morrissey at his best. Like, I'll be at the bar with my head on the bar. Like that. That's amazing. Yeah, like that's that is. <laughs> that's why I come to Morrissey and why I come to the Smiths. And it's yeah. so there are these it's, little little bits that are in there. But whatever's going on with the sound of that guitar and just the production and the choices that were made were the wrong choices. They I don't think I have the vendetta against the production that everybody else seems to. Like it's, it's not a terrific song, obviously, but like I think it's listenable and I'll listen to it again. Like I think it's a, a, a fairly fine song. It I hurts think, me soul. I, th- I, th- I, th- <laughs> I think no. I, okay. I think everybody here, like, I don't, I, I don't have the love for the Smiths that everybody seems to. I, I like the Smiths fine, right. but like, I'm definitely camp cure. You're missing See, that's the always betrayal. interesting to me because that that seems way more up your alley than mine. Like. Yeah, <laughs> like, I like the Smiths. I think they have some terrific albums, but like, their melancholy is always a little bit too ironic for me. 
Okay. Okay. And I think yeah, that's that, fair. Yeah. That's their appeal, I know. And like they're good at what they do and I like them a lot. And I think that that same appeal is in this song for me as well. I think it's a, I think it's a good song. Not just good for Morrissey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's good for Morrissey isn't always good for the rest of no. us. We know that much. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that Morrissey and Robert Smith are next to each other in the countdown. Oh, that's, yeah. It's and, beautiful. And neither of the songs are like exemplifyingly good no, versions no. of them. Yeah. <laughs> Should we end out with that very famous quote? About, Do you know it? Uh, from, from Robert. From, from, from Robert, Robert. If Morrissey told me not to eat meat, then I would eat meat. That's how much I hate Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Probably Robert just Smith cut out is a vegetarian. That's probably important oh, context. No, I know, yeah. I know, I know that. I, I think you should probably just cut out the middleman and eat Morrissey. Whoa! <laughs> <clears throat> Delicious. Bitter. <laughs> At number 86, this is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Thirsty Dog. Seeds with Thirsty Dog in the 1994 Hottest 100 at number Dog. 86. Dog. Mac, Mac, this is your episode, man. Got, You're... My, got, got my big two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the big two. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised this song made it in. Like, yeah, I'm, me too. Yeah, the, it's it's so not representative of Nick Cave's sound, particularly from this era. I this think that's is, why I like it so yeah. much. Mm. Yeah, I am. Um, and it's not a single. Like, it doesn't, no. it's not on the best of. No. It's not a song that if you talk to people who have a sort of casual interest in Nick Cave, they'll they bring would it know. up. Yeah. It's, um, it was actually one of the first Nick Cave songs I remember hearing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, because uh, the album that it's from, Let Love In. Um, Which is my favourite Nick Cave record. With good reason. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, dropped in 94. So I would have been like five or six when it came sure, out. Sure, yeah. My parents got it. They're big Nick Cave fans. Oh, really? Yeah. And so this was a constant a presence in, in my growing up. Uh, and this was a song I connected to when I was young, I guess because it's like, it's got a very amount of id. Like it's simple. It's, it's hard guitar rock compared to like, say, other songs from the album, like Do You Love Me or Even Remember Right Hand, which are a bit more complex musically and for like, a five-year-old it's about a dog exactly so, yeah. <laughs> yeah and like, it's kind of easy it's rocky and it's a bit of fun kind of thing like that like i remember like dancing around my living room to it when i was a little kid and then as i grew up and got into nick cave and the bad seeds this song kind of fell by the wayside in terms of love and like as the years went on i like embraced the other sides of nick cave more so and only in recent kind of years have i turned back to it and embraced it for what it is which i think it's a more mature an evocative version of what the birthday party were. A straightforward hard rock aesthetic for post-punk. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's a very, very good song. It's like, I guess, proto-masculine kind of hegemony um, representations of manhood. It's an angry and famished man kind of thing. Obviously, thirsty. So angry. Yeah. 
I so just sorry. Like a fucking mule. So sorry. Yeah. He's so sorry. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's a very very good song. And it's only in recent years that I really come to embrace of what it is as a great song on the album again. Because for a while I was like, oh, it's the weakest track on the record. But I don't think it is anymore. No, yeah. not even close. Yeah. I've come to love this song even more. Like, yeah. in, in terms of like revisiting the record, this one always stands out to me. Yeah, because it's so fierce compared to the rest of. Yeah, the it's stuff. such a classic punk homage. You know, yeah, you can exactly. just imagine yeah, him shirtless running around doing his Ziggy Pop shit yeah, exactly. like back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, man. I just yeah. There's such a great energy to this song. And like I said, this is from my favourite Bad Seeds album. So yeah, I, it was always one that, you know, like, it, it's such a contrast to the rest of the record. Where I was just like, oh, okay. So I didn't really know how to react to it at first because, you know, I was into the more, like, darker, brooding, more side of yeah. things. But now, like, I love Nick Cave when he's fucking shirtless and wild. Like, I fucking love Grind of It, you know? Yeah. Like, those two albums were just unfucking beatable. And this yeah. song feels like a good link between Birthday Party and Grind of It, I For think. For sure, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good bridging thread. of yeah. the gap. I think when he does this sort of stuff yeah it's just ferocious I, I really fucking dig on this this is the first time I've heard this track man I'm really glad that it came in this countdown then if for all you're saying it's not one of the the bigger Nick Cave songs because no. I adore it and honestly out of the Nick Cave songs that I have heard and I will admit at this point the Nick Cave is a little bit of a blind spot for me I'm not exactly sure why because that seems like a gross blind spot maybe I'm just like we all have them well I mean I know that you Andrew, love Nick Cave adoringly, and maybe I'm like trying to not listen to it deliberately because I don't want you in to. In case you don't like because because I don't want like your taste to objectively be better than my taste. So well, like... if, if, if you listen to it and then you don't like it, and then we like, have to fight, yeah. we would we would have awful. to fight yeah. on a mountain in yeah. the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there'd be thunderstorms and screaming. <laughs> yeah. It would be wild. It'd be grand. <laughs> but yeah, this song is, it's just incredible. Like, as soon as it kicks off, it just drives and gallops and goes. To me, the hero is that background chant in the chorus. And oh, I just, so good. Could, yeah. it, could it be that I could go back in time and witness that live? Like, if, if Nick still played this and whatever and be part of a, a rowdy pub mob that could chant that? Because that yeah. would just be the king. Screaming, I'm sorry you know progressively more desperately is just a wonderful thing in the context of this song which is just like a song essentially about partying too hard and just hurting people it's like dude you party too hard if there's one person that parties too hard it's Nick Cave 90s Nick Cave exactly that um that backing vocal chant is something that the bad seeds do so well I think sure sure. yeah babe I'm on fire yeah, obviously that's, that's the kingmaker for <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, that yeah, like a bunch of dudes. Like they always sounded too old for it. Like they were, even when they were really, even in like the early days of the Bad Seeds, like from yeah. Her to Eternity, even like the Bad Seeds themselves always sounded too old to be doing what they're doing. They've always been old men. Mm-hmm. Like it works for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why it's so successful. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah, I think the way that Nick, like his vocal delivery in this song, the really rapid fire execution of the lyrics, is something that he doesn't really do that often because he isn't that good at it live. And I know that he doesn't know the words to his songs. <laughs> He doesn't know any. He doesn't know any. He doesn't know like any a giant or some shit. He just has. He has pages and pages of lyrics when he performs. It's beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. So he doesn't know any Nick Cave lyrics, and he doesn't record, sing them out really, really quickly. So he sucks at doing that live. But he's really good at doing it when he does it in the studio occasionally, and in this song, it's really exemplified. And I love at the end, like that reversal of when he says, "It's like, too good." I'm, yeah. I'm, feel, I'm feeling very thirsty. I'm a sorry dog. It's, it's so, so good. good. I'm so glad you said that. It yeah, is so incredible. I, yeah. I really like structurally this song. I think is interesting because it uses a form that the bad seeds often use for storytelling songs like Curse of Millhaven for example that's sort of like it's very rolling it keeps pushing forward 
the verse structure is just pretty set in. Like, yeah, like Tupelo as well. Yeah, Tupelo as well. Like, but this doesn't have a story. No. This stays in the one place and digs in and in and in. Mm. It feels like a drunk apology. Yeah. Like, I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Just using that sort of storytelling format to stay in the one place and sort of keep digging yourself into this hole. And yeah, I think and that... It- it thematically keeps you there is just as perfect. Well. Yeah, like, exactly. As a listener, it keeps you in that place. Like you feel like somebody's super sorry and it's embarrassing that yeah. they're fucked up. Like it's just their apology a, yeah. isn't worth it. When someone apologizes and then they keep apologizing, it's just really cringy. Yeah. Like it's a horrible thing to watch or listen to. Yeah. Like and I Big think time. this song does that really, really well. Fuck yeah. I'm I'm just glad we got to talk about Nick Cave again. Yeah, and I'm always I, gonna be happy to talk about yeah, Nick Cave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always a good time for you, mate. Yeah. You're, you're welcome on any time you want. And I'm really glad that this came in in the countdown because 1993 gave me Dinosaur Junior. It gave me Start Chopping as a discovery. So this, so far, is the best kind of new discovery, discovery. that I've had. That's great. In, in, in 1994. Thank uh, you, Hottest 100. And we have only just begun. So plenty more discoveries to come, people. Yes. You. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thanks so much for listening. But before we get out of here, we have a, uh, a little dealio that we do at the end of every episode where we discuss our favourites and our least favourites. We're going to start with you, Adam. Which is really tough because I managed to turn the easily least good song into something... Into a conceptual... Into a conceptual masterpiece. <laughs> so, gee, that's tough. I'm still going to have to say to listen to, though, uh, nah. It's a no from me for Purple Haze. Um, and, you know, like, it's this is a real, like, kind of arbitrary choice because the rest of them, I think, are just all really cool songs. Even well, Morrissey. Well. Oh, no. Oh, what? I forgot about Morrissey again. See? You see, like... Motherfuckers act like they forgot about Moz. You see, like, I, I want to black it out so bad you know that I forgot done? about it. That's the worst, you, obviously. You know what you've done? You've ignored him and he's only gotten closer. I was asking for it. You really were. Um, all right, yeah, Morrissey's the worst. Right. It hurts me deeply, so... Um, it is the worst. And, and your every- everything else is great. Every- oh, okay. Except Just Hayes pick again. one, goddammit. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I will go Thirsty Dog for the discovery. Because I always do. Right on. It's good. It's a good policy. Mac. My most hated, and I hate saying this, but my most hated is The Cure. And my most loved is Nick Cave. Yeah, I'm going to go the same with Andrew. The Morrissey, I, like the, Robert Smith and Morrissey, can take bottom place together, I think, and just like have to deal with that. Just Eat with, each other, yeah. Just being bottom feeders, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Ah. Together, we make them talk Dave? to each other. And Thirsty Dog, yeah. yeah. Thirsty Dog all the way. Purple Haze, no fucking way. Yeah, great. Is this the first time that we've all agreed on a best song on in an haters? episode? Oh my oh, god, yeah, I, think I think it is. Synchronicity. Thank you. Forming like Voltron. And I'll form the head. Thank you, Mr. Cave. Yes. Yeah, Nick. Thank you all so much for checking us out. But before we go. Thank you also to FBI for having us again. For sure. Yes. FBIradio.com. On behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. It's been a pleasure. On behalf of Mr. Andrew McDonald. I'm sorry. I'll forgive you. And on behalf of Mr. Adam Bodger. Regulators! Sorry, that was probably too much. It's fine. <laughs> My name is David James Joe. Keep music evil. Goodbye! Hottest 100s and thousands is filmed in front of a live studio audience.